Welcome to Level Up, the podcast that's dedicated to the higher education community that brings you countless stories of employees, students, and the faculty's journey in this remote world we live in. We will explore the many adversity that each one of us experience and share our story to inspire and inform. This is your host, Dr. Leland, a serial educator, an opportunities designer, and a compassionate leader. Welcome, Level Up listeners. This is Dr. Leland from Level Up. Today, I'm super excited. I found a new friend, someone that I can trust with my decisions in terms of instructional design, my classmate, my colleague, and my peer. Welcome, Gabby. How are you doing today? Hi, Dr. Leland. I'm very good. Thank you. Awesome. Tell me about yourself. My name is Gabriela Delgado Sapp. I have a long history in bilingual education, and my current job title is Instructional Designer and Learning Developer. Wow, that's exciting. Um, (laughs) Uh, Tell me more. I'm originally from Venezuela, and I came to Texas in 2005. Wow, that must be a culture change for you, right? Right. (laughs) Yeah, how was that experience? challenging but very educational especially in the cultural areas Mm, expand more a lot being in the u.s expand more okay okay i came to the u.s when i was in high school and i have to learn the language because even though we got classes of english it was kind of a mix between American English and British English. So we came here, we come to the airport, and the first thing we hear is, hi, y'all. And my sister and I, we just saw each other like, what? What's that? We didn't know what y'all mean at all. Just like, just smile and keep walking. <laughs> we find our mom. So that's how everything started. Um the high school experience was totally different, but it, it was very interesting. Uh, my sister and I went into sports. She did volleyball, and I did color guard and winter guard, a sport that we never saw back home. It didn't exist. Flags in a van. <laughs> it was very different. So I really enjoyed it. I liked it a lot. I think that was one of my main reasons to keep going to school. Wow, that's actually a pretty amazing experience, right? Different, but the same kind of cultural shock that I have had when I came to this country as well. Couldn't speak English, same thing. Uh, lots of culture shock, lots of words. You have no idea what's happening. Actually, I know where's the bathroom. I actually didn't call it bathroom. In the Philippines, we call it comfort room. And my teacher's like, there's nothing comforting about our bathroom. <laughs> uh, but it was a different word. <laughs> Tell me how you became a teacher. Like, what accomplishments or challenges have you had since um, high school? I was studying English in the community college, and I wasn't sure what to study in this new country. When I was back home, I thought being an architect or child psychologist. But here things were different, especially when learning everything in a new language and incorporating into a new culture all at the same time. 
I was advised to investigate the careers of medicine or education if I would like to stay for longer, because at the time, those two careers had a higher chance of sponsorships than others. I have always enjoyed and liked kids, and I was always impressed when I saw little children switching from one language to another one. Because of that, I decided to study bilingual education. My own experience taught me that learning a language is not just learning how to communicate, read, and write. Learning a language means to learn a new culture, beliefs, history, and more, and it's very interesting. I thought it was sad when I saw kids just speaking one language while the parents spoke multiple languages. Like, hmm, <laughs> why not teach those languages to them? As a bilingual educator, I could teach at least two languages and I'd be able to assist families with language barriers to their kids and teach global citizens to students. That was a great motivator to transfer to a university and focus on bilingual education. I was so motivated that I went to Spain for a summer to learn how the bilingual brain worked. Since my university didn't have that as a class, I wanted to create awareness towards the importance of bilingualism and to cut down biases. Wow, you are so dedicated. You went to Spain. <laughs> how was that experience? Like, was it different than America or where you came from? Uh, not from where I came from, but yes, from the U.S., um, when I went to Spain, I went to the university for that summer. It reminded me exactly when I was back home. The way that the professors interact with you was pretty much the same way. That it's more as uh, they will teach you and then you can ask questions. Mm. Like, it wasn't appropriate to interrupt teachers, go to the restroom. Mm. You know, it's more like you are sitting because it's class time, you're listening, you ask questions, and then at the end, you will have the last 15 minutes to interact with your peers or get closer to the professor and ask more questions if you like. Very traditional. That's how I was. I had nuns, okay? I had nuns for teachers. So yes, very traditional. Uh, we were proper what did you learn in Spain in terms of like how bilingual brain works? I'm actually interested in that. Well, the class was called Neuroplasticity in the Brain, mm -hmm. Emotions, Education, and Psychology of the Brain. Something like that was the title. It was a long time ago. And it was interesting because I had peers from all over the world, from Argentina, from Peru, from Ecuador. It was, I was the only one from the U.S., but everybody else was from all over. So it was interesting because after being in the U.S. for so long, I... When I wasn't here, when, I, when I'm here, I went to writing English and Spanish, right? But when I was in Spain, I missed writing in English. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is interesting. This is different. So it was, it was an experience. Um, all the professors were actual doctors. And they took us, there was one like field trip where they took us to... Uh, 
to a place, a building, where they do, it's not, um, they do like examples of how the brain works with certain patients. It's like more like studies mm. of the brain. So we, they show us the machines. They, we couldn't enter any of them. They were just able to show us the big machines. And it was outside Madrid. It was outside the city. So we had to take a bus to go there. Well, that's fun field trip. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was, it was something I had never seen. So it was very interesting. Yeah, I actually am very interested in that um, neuroplasticity because I use, I teach, uh, it's called neuromarketing because I believe mm. that our brain is malleable. It can change depending on the messages that we we get and um, we see, yes. right? So I think that's why the mindset coaches are very accomplished on in their industry. It's because they understand that our brain is malleable and whatever we put in there, it's gonna, it's like a sponge, it will take it. So if you get negative messages, you'll get negative emotions. If you get positive images, you get positive emotions. Even though it sounds simple, it's so much more complicated. So much more complicated. Yes, and we focus on languages specifically and how, especially kids, when they're 13 years and younger, they can learn any language. They can learn any language. Their, their brain is so flexible. They, they learn like sponges. They learn very fast. After 13, it's a little harder. So when I came here at 17, yes, I, it was very challenging. Yeah, I was and at that cusp. <laughs> yeah, wow. if you will before then, it will be easier for you to learn to learn languages. Yeah, that's so true. Um, tell me more about your accomplishments. Um, okay. Um, in 2013, I graduated from I was the greatest accomplishment <laughs> I had done in my life. My family was very proud. And for the first time, I felt proud of myself. I graduated from in my second language. I made so many sacrifices to learn and understand the language while learning new materials that I could not believe I was graduating with honors. Like me, <laughs> the kid that always had to have tutors back home because she could not pass classes no matter how she studied. I struggled so bad from kindergarten all the way to seventh grade. My parents had me switch schools and it became better. The new school was uh, had an approach of American centers where your class have activities that you can do with peers. Instead, my first school was very traditional non-school. So it was a big switch and that helps me a lot. And then four years later, we moved to the United States and I had to learn English to be able to graduate and create a future here. While in school, I used to work for hours in every single assignment to then take it to tutors for them to check my grammar. I was very conscious about it. I took the same paper there as many times as possible before turning it in into any of my professors. I waited hours for a tutor to be available to revise my paper one more time before submitting it. 
because for me it was important the professor understood what I meant. Mm. Writing is the last step you master when learning a second language. However, at the university level, everything has an even greater emphasis on writing. As an international student enrolling higher ed, writing is the most important process. So I work extra hard to learn as much as possible and graduate. I always remember how my dad's eyes shine when I was wearing my cap and gown. Aww. I have my yellow and purple cords for Golden Key International Honor Society and Kappa Delta Pi. And on top of that, I was graduating to Laudi. Amazing. His eyes were shining like a star. And <laughs> after the ceremony, I put my cords on him as a sign of appreciation. My mom and my sister were so happy that they could not stop smiling, clapping, and hugging me. Aww. It was one of the happiest moments ever for me. I wouldn't be here where I'm at right now if it was not for the support of my family and my strong determination in not just doing the requirement, but always pushing for excellence and pushing myself to be the best version of myself. That's actually very commendable. A lot of people don't understand the struggle of international students and immigrants who really tries their best. They just think, you know, we're we are not going to get it. We're not ever going to be there. It's a matter of never giving up on what it do you want in life. Like you, you went to the tutors all the time just to perfect your writing. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean hours upon hours. I'm sure of it. There's a lot of sacrifices that instead of going out with your friends, you're like sitting there waiting for the tutor to help you out, right? And at the yeah. end, you got it. For me, I didn't have a tutor. They didn't have a tutor in my school, so I had to do it on my own, but I did a cassette tape and a dictionary. So I would say the words, listen to the words, dictionary, dictionary. I didn't have any friends. Like I literally just spent sleeping days studying 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 enunciating enunciating repeating because i wanted to do the best of yourself and i'm glad that you did that i can really relate to how determined you are and i'm glad that you're here and you can tell that to your children right like don't give up what do you mean what do you mean you do this i did this this and this right um i'm sure yes exactly yeah I'm sure your journey wasn't easy being here today, you know, well accomplished. Now you're doing an instructional design. Can you tell me a little bit about your challenges during that journey? Um, Yes. During my journey, there were a lot of people that looked down on me or didn't believe I could graduate or do it because I didn't speak English fluently. At the beginning, I couldn't understand the reason why. But it was because I came from a Latin American country, and people have many biases about that. I used to ask myself, why not just talking to me or getting to know me instead of creating fictional ideas about me? I always remember how mad I got every time I was asked what my parents did for a living back home. And every time I said my dad was a mechanical engineer in the biggest oil company in my country, and my mom was a lawyer, they were always surprised. They couldn't believe my mom had her own law firm and was very successful and that my dad was a high mechanical engineer in the biggest old company in the country. For them, coming from South America, meant we were not educated. And it upset me every time. It wasn't until I became an adult 
and a teacher that I start going to all these professional developments that I understood. People have been trained and told that people from Latin America do not have high standards of education, or that they have the lowest rating high school graduations here in the U.S. Personally, I disagree, and it's because everyone's situation is different. For example, some people graduated in Latin American countries spend one year in high school here to learn the language, culture, and then drop out of say high school, but turn around and enroll into a community college or university. So the data will show that they did not graduate high school in the U.S., but it doesn't say that it was because they transferred to higher ed instead. There are many stories, but life is not just black and white. Thinking and saying that someone is less than others because of where they come from should have changed a long time ago, but sadly it's still happening today. That breaks my heart, actually, because I'm sure you have experienced a lot of hardship and racism, and so did I, because I couldn't speak English. My my English was like, where's the bathroom? That was the only thing I could say. And when people were make fun of your accent or the way you dress or the way you look or the food that you eat, you as a child, you don't understand. It's like normal to you. Why Why are you being so mean? And it breaks my mm-hmm. heart, like, knowing that. And it's true. Uh, there's a lot of variables that the study doesn't show why. And I believe it doesn't matter where you come from outside of the U.S., I think. And I'm going to have a study. I'm going to find it for sure before I die, I swear. I'm going to find a study that sh- shows that people who are immigrant are actually more successful than people who are born here in the U.S., there's got to be a study in there because I think we are motivated. We want the best. We want, we work triple as hard because not for anybody else, but at first you feel like you got to prove it to somebody. But once you achieve that level that you already did, you don't do it to prove to somebody. It's more like it's a habit at this point. Right. But I just wish that people do stop their biases and, 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 not communicate the way we they make us feel, right? I can't believe you're right, though. It's still here, no matter what, um, making you feel less, the way they look at you. They don't even have to speak. It's the way they look at you sometimes um, that make you feel belittled, right now. And it's kind of sad. And I just kind of ignore those things. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me anymore. Um, but, but sometimes my kids will see it. You know, they're like, we'll see it. And I, there's a post on LinkedIn today, one of my colleagues and said, you know, they have to know Africa, Asia, I think South America and something like that. And I'm like, you know what I don't understand? We have 7 billion, almost 8 billion people, right? In the whole world of the population and 4 billion are Asians. Why are we still minority? <laughs> Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> it's not because of the number of people. It's the way that people look at Asians, right? It's that. It's the way they look at I'm like, dude, if we all really stand up, there's 4 billion of us. And look how violent people here in the U.S. right now with Asian Americans. They're killing them. They're hitting grandmas. Right here in Oceanside where I'm at, they just, one kid just drove through a grandma and she died. And I'm like, for, for what, though? Because they're Asians. And I'm like, okay, but for what? 
Yeah, it doesn't make sense. We are right now a global society. Yeah. All this remote work has showed that we don't have borders right now. No. So if we don't have borders right now, you will think <laughs> mentality of people will be a little more open to see that and start changing a little. So it, everything, it always depends. Like, as a teacher, this year I did third grade bilingual. Mm-hmm. And I got kids. They will get mad for how others were looking at them. They were making fun of their accent. They don't want to talk. You know, a lot of challenges. So it's hard, but you have to teach them. You have to ignore that because you're very bright. And one day you will show but for now, you're not going to get in trouble because of that. It's not worth it. So, you know, that's something that it was taught to us. Mm-hmm. Because as an international student, you cannot get in trouble of any kind. Mm-hmm. Even a C in your record could, could, could be a potential for you to leave the university. You have to have A's and B's. Mm-hmm. If you have a C, okay, two C's, they're talking to you, what are you doing? But they are not looking at, like, you are learning all these subjects in a different language. Mm-hmm. And you have to convert that. And you that. still have to have 12 credits every semester. And sometimes they don't have enough for 12 credits to be four classes. So you have to take five and six classes to cover 12 credits. But they are not looking at that because they're used to people just working, so they're just going to take one or two classes. But international students have to take four, five, or six classes each semester. Yeah, it's kind of difficult. When you were a teacher, what subjects have you taught? And like, what, what is it about, about being an educator that you enjoy the most? I had taught bilingual to fifth, second, and third graders, Spanish one to seven and eighth graders, and native Spanish one, two, and three to seven and eighth graders. Mm. I enjoy when kids finally get it. <laughs> Some of them have struggled so much that it reminds me of when I was little. I will not say anything and just sit there in a confused state. But then after I grew up and gained confidence in myself, I kept asking questions or asking for help when lost. So I always helped them create a positive relationship and showing them that I care. I offered them tutoring before or after school, calling home to talk to parents, and giving ideas on how to help them at home. I had also sent materials home that parents can use to help them and ask any questions parents had for me. I have done that because I believe everyone can be successful and happy. However, we all have strengths and weaknesses. Once kids feel happy, feel listened to, and are understood, academics follow smoothly. Just never give up. Giving up is not an option. Determination cannot be measured just with numbers. And it's a life skill. I love to give and show to students. If I can do it, you can do it too. So I love when they gain confidence in themselves and break out of their shell asking questions or saying what they think because that's just meant we were on the right path. That's true. Now, has 
COVID-19 pandemic affected your teaching methodology at all? Yes, it did. The pandemic affected my career by showing me a different path, the instructional design pathway. Because of my health, I couldn't stay in the classroom. It was one of the most difficult decisions I had to make in a long time. I have been used to work with families and students for so long that I didn't realize I had forgotten about myself and my family on the way. I didn't know who I was. If I was not a teacher, now what? I felt very lost, and staying indoors was not easy. However, my husband has been a marvelous support system and my personal hero. Aww. I feel very blessed that he is part of my life because he gave me the fortitude to realize that I'm not just a teacher. I am way more than a job title. I did not realize how many different jobs we teachers do on a daily basis. We advocate for kids and their families, analyze data weekly, write data reports, write curriculum, revise educational platforms and review them, community service coordinators, public speaking, and way more than that to mention but a few. When looking for jobs, I realized that each of our hats was a different job. <laughs> my mind was blown. I started doing what I told my students to do, self-love and self-care, while thinking, what do I enjoy? What do I like? What do I dislike? What do I want to do? husband helped me tremendously through this process, and that's how I started enrolling myself in an instructional design program. Learned the different processes to design courses like ADDIE. Learned how to use Articulate and other authoritative tools. Then networking and LinkedIn with amazing professionals who opened my eyes and allowed me to change my mindset. To see all the opportunities outside the classroom that I didn't know really existed. I also learned that the way I have been planning for years had an actual name. Universal backward design. I thought that was just the most effective way to get to do not get distracted with everything else. I made sure we as a team stay focused on the assessment, objective, and learning materials before we plan the lesson plans. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> While networking with different professionals, I realized that I forgot that my master's degree in educational leadership involved adult theories, how to teach adults, how to solve problems, and find solutions efficiently. How could I have forgotten that? Right? Like, well, I did. <laughs> totally forgot. <laughs> And I realized I needed a different mindset than the one I had. My family just want me to be happy, and a career title doesn't give happiness. I know they were right. My friend had said similar things to me before when I was working every day nonstop for years. So my teaching methodology changed in applying it to myself, what I taught to my students. Self-love, self-care, Open communication with loved ones, finding help, looking for help, and asking for help. At the end, Maslow's and Vygotsky's knew exactly what we humans need. These were the first psychologists I studied when I started my career, and knowing about them have been the main core of my teaching methodology.
Yeah, that's amazing. I use Maslow hierarchies um, on my dissertation um, because it's a basic foundation, really. It's a, it's a great methodology changing a mindset, you know. Now, what is your favorite thing that you have learned from a student? Well, students want to show you what they have learned. They want to apply their new knowledge. They want to challenge others about what they know and how they know they're right, especially that one. <laughs> they want to communicate and feel proud of their own learning. They want to surprise their parents, friends, and others. They're looking for recognition. I have learned a lot from my students, but I think the biggest lesson is to keep getting excited when learning something new and the true curiosity to learn more about it. That's true. That's true. Now, is there a subject or concept that you found a new perspective on by interacting with your students? Yes. Students were their parents involved. But at the same time, they think parents don't know or that they are too busy to be part of what they are learning. Parents are too busy to listen to them or to share experiences with them. However, on the other hand, parents want to be involved, but they don't know how. Conflict of schedules, times, kids' behavior, it gets complicated. And sometimes they do not know how to manage it. Kids nowadays are getting too much information through social media. So they believe social media knows more than their parents, and they get answers quickly when asking random strangers through online mediums rather than their own parents. And we cannot blame them when we as a society are doing the exact same thing. They get misinformation, same as us. As adults, we can read or see something and sometimes can tell if it's fake, not true, or ask questions to see if it's real. Mm-hmm. If it's shown in their screen, then it's perceived as true as or even more so than when adults say next to them. Balancing the allowance of the fun and interactivity of social media with the moral responsibility to not oblige the child with negative influence is one of the most difficult concepts we deal with today and one in which I want to tackle further in my career. Mm, that's actually pretty interesting. I would love to see that happening too. What's the most challenging thing for you in the classroom? There are a couple. <laughs> <laughs> but um, demonstrating to students that not everything they see on the screen is true. Mm-hmm. And that they need to communicate with their parents and let them know what is going on within their lives. What are they thinking? Why are they thinking that way? How are they feeling? Why are they feeling that way? A stranger will not love you more than your parents. Getting kids to open up to their parents can be the most challenging, yet rewarding act inside a classroom. That's true. That is true. Talking to their parents. (laughs) Yeah, because they always say, right, teachers need to have a good communication with their parents. That's true, but teachers can have good communication with their parents. But if the kid doesn't say anything to their parents, when the teacher communicates with their parents, the parents don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. So, So it's not just one way. It's a multiple way avenue. Where communication is in the center of everything. 
That's true. And some kids will not tell their parents. Like my youngest, she doesn't tell me anything, whether she's in trouble or she gets a reward, none, nothing. <laughs> Until I found out from her classmates or from her teacher, like, oh, Bella just got a reward the other day. I'm like, she did? <laughs> and I asked her, I'm just like, she's like, oh, yeah, I think I mentioned it to you after school. You just don't remember, mom. Like she makes me, she's gaslighting me. She She makes me feel like, I'm not listening, you know, like, I'm like, what? I paid attention. I didn't see it. And then she brings out the certificate from her backpack all crumpled up. Like, she didn't care about it, really. <laughs> um, but, yeah, communication <laughs> communication is definitely a good thing. Now, as a teacher, right, it doesn't matter if you're a professor or, you know, K to K-12 teacher, what do you think we should do as, as teachers, really, to keep students engaged in our classroom? What kind of tips can you provide? Active listening. Actively listen to what the students are saying and have a conversation with them about those topics. Either inside the classroom, hallway, cafeteria, or recess. Actually listen, take a few minutes to converse with them. It means a lot to them. Just listen to them. That's kind of hard when you're doing Zoom and you're not in the hallway or in the cafeteria, right? Yeah, um, mm-hmm. Doing it remotely is harder, but remotely will mean that you're chatting. You're using the chat and try to get to them, try to reach them. Uh, I I saw some people doing jokes. Oh, okay. Or, or sending gifts, mm-hmm. you know, funny gifts to yeah. see if the kid will react. And kids react with gifts and some kids react with jokes. You just need to know your students. Oh, I see. You really need to have that relationship with them to see, well, to this kid, I can send a gift. To this kid, I can send a joke. Mm. If you don't have the relationship with them, then you will not know what to send them to give them a reaction. So it's very important to know them and build this relationship from the very beginning. That's what I always tell my faculty before. Like, (laughs) you got to talk to your students because if you don't, you don't know what they want or what they like or how to teach them or how to connect with them, right? So, yeah, that's a great one. Now, what would you like your students to know about you or that is relatable to their own experience? We all have challenges and struggles. We all think, why I'm doing this? What is the point of this? Nobody is perfect. Nobody is just rich, famous, happy, successful from one day to the next. Everything requires hard work, determination, and never giving up. If you want to give up, or think you cannot do it, then find someone to talk to, a friend, a loved one, another professional, somebody. We are not alone in this planet. Mm. Yeah, I think our ego sometimes comes in the way of asking for help. And that's, I think, some people, when you hear a teenager committing suicide and they're close to their parents, I'm like, there's a disconnect somewhere in there. You know, it's very sad. And wh- well, the communication. Yeah. It's just sad when people just... It's sad because sometimes you can see parents are trying. Mm. They're yeah. really trying to communicate. They're really trying to talk to their kids, but sometimes they're not just reacting to it. They're more interested in what is on their phone. Yeah. But whatever is in their phone is what is causing their problems. Yeah, peer pressure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, if you could tell your students one thing that would make teaching easier for you, what would it be? Keep up the hard work. You're doing just fine. Keep pushing. 
Don't give up. I like that. Don't give up. Persevere. Push through. There <laughs> yeah. You go. Now, if I could remove all barriers and constraints that you face, like what project would you create? Like, there's no no barriers on financial people helping you. What would that be? Be nice. <laughs> um, at this moment, maybe a course to help parents kinder to twelve or kinder to higher ed in communication with their kids and their kids' teachers and schools. Hmm. Yeah, I want to see that course happening, Gabby. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. I'll be your peer reviewer for sure. I think that would be great, especially for parents who um, have kids that are international kids or kids that can't speak English very well, who's still born here, but they can't speak English very well because their parents don't speak English at home. They get frustrated and they get in trouble, right? But if you have some type of help, like a course, like you said, that parents can take and maybe help out on their end how they could do it, that definitely would help. Um, what inspired you or what would inspire you to create this project? My experience in the classroom, the interaction between the kids and their parents, and then the interactions with me as a teacher and their families. Yeah, I could see that. What would you want to be known for? Only by this project or something else? No, one project is just a starting point. I do not know what is in my future, but I would like to believe others will get inspired by my experience and more people will keep creating projects to help others. That's true. That's true. Now, what makes you feel inspired at the end of the day? Like, is there anything you would like to share to inform and inspire others at Love Love? When people are determined and fight for what they want, then at the end they achieve it. Yes, maybe it wasn't what they thought it would be at the end, and then they changed their mind, but the point is not the end, but the journey. How strong have they gotten from the beginning to now? How have they improved themselves? What did they do to improve? Where have they been because of their journey? Their personal growth isn't there even though the academics or professional title wasn't the direction they had in mind. Everybody's life is different. Same as their experiences, and that's fine. Life stories from people always inspire me and woke up my curiosity to travel the world to see and to experience other countries from a different lens. When I was in the community college, when I was taking my ESL classes that I was learning English, my peers were people from all over the world, all different ages. And that way got my curiosity to travel and learn more because they told their stories. They were successful people in their countries. And for one reason or another, they had to leave. And they came here and you see them working very hard trying to learn the language, asking cultural questions because they want to approach a person at the community college, but they don't know how, because in their country, if they're a woman, that will not look good because it looks like flirting, and she is not flirting, she just won't ask a question. You know, a lot of cultural barriers too, beside the language. So all their stories always were like my energizer. To, to say, okay, if they can do it, I can do it too. 
Yeah. And it didn't matter age. It's just like, look, they got to be owners of their businesses. They, they were CEOs of their companies. They, they were these great people. And then they come here and they have to start all over from zero. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we work so, hard because we know I what hard looks like. That always yeah. Yeah. And they expect, of course, right, that once you're being here and you do that, you're modeling that to your kids. Yep. So your kids will be determined and never give up. Mm-hmm. They, they see the sacrifice. So the idea is for them to be independent and, and they can do it too. They will not just give up because, oh, it's too hard. I'm not going to do it. No, it's hard from a different way. Yeah. Make it easier for you. Yeah. It's not that hard from what we've been going through, you know? So it's, it's, I can see that that's happening. Well, thank you so much for your time yeah. today. I appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me, Dr. Leyland. Thank you for listening to my podcast today. If you want to be a guest on my podcast or have questions, email me at leveluppbydocleland at gmail.com. Docleland spells D-O-C-L-E-Y-L-A-N-D at gmail.com. I will see you soon in my next episode. Stay connected, informed, and inspired. Until next time.